Good morning. We are in Luke chapter 14, and we'll turn there and read our passage this morning. Luke chapter 14, and we begin reading in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The Gospels are wonderful books. Um, They're they're great to study because the scenes keep changing, and you have to kind of keep pace with what is happening uh, in the Gospels, uh, the, the Gospel accounts. And uh, you always have to look at who the audience is, um, where the action is taking place, and how this applies to me and how it applies to you. Now, last week, as you remember, we were finishing up the story of the Lord who had been invited to a dinner at a Pharisee's home, and other Pharisees and lawyers were there, and the Lord... Um, used it as an opportunity not only to heal a man, but also to teach the people who were there about the kingdom of God. And as you recall, he told a story at the very end. And the story was about a, a man who had a great supper. He was prepared a great supper. And the invitation went out to all, and all were invited to come. And last week we said this is like the gospel going out. The gospel is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And it is by believing that gospel message that we are saved. And the invitation goes out to all, whosoever will, may come. And um, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from God. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise uh, declared in God's word by God himself. So, many, many people were invited. In fact, everybody was invited. You're invited. The whole world is invited to believe the gospel and be saved. And there's this great ingathering of people, and literally thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people have professed faith in Jesus Christ. And they say, yes, I declare that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He is my Lord. But Jesus does a very peculiar thing here and also in other parts of the Scripture. Very peculiar. Now, he's so unlike preachers and and, uh, gospelers today who are looking for more. 
We want bigger crowds. We want more people coming. Well, there was a great ingathering of people, a great number of people who responded to Jesus. And he says, okay, now here are the conditions of discipleship. You know, there was an occasion when the Lord was talking to uh, the Jews, the Pharisees and the scribes and so on. And uh, his sayings in John chapter 6 became harder and harder and harder for them to take. And they finally said, we're out of here. You know how people go today. (sighs) You know, you've seen that? (sighs) Anyway, that's what they did. We're out of here. We're gone. See ya. And so they all leave. And he's left with his 12 disciples. And he turns to them and he says, will you go also? He, He gave them an open door to leave. And really, this is kind of like the passage we're looking at this morning. He's saying, okay, you've believed. You've trusted in me as my as, as Savior. But I am Lord. I am Lord of all. I am Lord of you. And I'm Lord of everything you have. And Lord of everything you own. I am Lord. That's, that's his message today. And he's really saying, okay, look, these are the conditions. These are the terms of discipleship. Do you still want to follow? Okay. The Lord doesn't hide anything from us. He's saying, come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And part of that rest is the freedom from things and freedom from what, what uh, weighs us down. Well, somebody has likened it to this. The Lord woos people to himself, and then he winnows them. Well, winnow, who, who talks like that anymore? You know, we're not farmers. What does it mean to winnow something? Well, let me give you an illustration of this. When a farmer in those days would go out into his field, and let's say he would gather grain into stalks and bring it to a threshing floor. And I don't know if you know this or not, because I know we just go and buy flour in, in, you know, bags. But in those days, and today too, it really happens, um, they, they thresh this. So they crush the head of the grain, and it separates the grain, the kernel, if you will, is within a, a head. That head is not edible, at least not for us. And the, the kernel is the good stuff. It's the grain that we want to crush and make into flour and all kinds of good things. Bread, you know, stuff like that. And uh, they would thresh this, this, they would crush it. And then they would have to winnow it because now you have a pile of good grain and the head or the, the kernel that was around it, the, uh, the head of the, the grain. And so they would take some instrument, and like a fork, big scoop or something like that, and they would take it and they would throw it up into the air on a windy day and the chaff, as we like to call it, would blow away. And as it would blow away, the good stuff, the good grain would fall to the ground. And so that's the winnowing. And that's what the Lord is doing here with us, with all who profess the name of Christ. He's winnowing us. Okay, let's see. Are you chaff or are you the real McCoy? Are you the real thing? Are you really a believer? Do you really believe me and follow me? Am I really your Lord? Let's see. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's winnowing us in this passage. We may experience trials in our life. As soon as we are saved. You know, sometimes uh, people run into a buzzsaw. It's called family. You know, they trust in the Lord and the family comes and goes, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be a follower of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Sometimes it's somebody else or some uh, friends or whatever. But sometimes the Lord allows, right after a person has made a profession of faith, he allows a trial to come into their life. And uh, the trials are, the, are to remove the things that are of no value. In the Christian life, God is a good farmer and he wants just the grain. He wants none of the chaff. Well, that's what our portion of scripture is about today. Now, notice who the audience is made up of. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 12. No, sorry, not 12, 25. It says, now great multitudes went with him. So this is no longer the dinner party. He's left the dinner party. He's now out with the crowds of people who are following him. And, you know, like I said, we often measure success by the number of people who follow us. 
And we say, well, nobody follows me. Yeah, I know, but people today follow you on Facebook, right? So those are your followers, you know? You, you like somebody, and so you're their follower. Or if, you're, uh, if you have a Twitter account, you tweet, and people follow your tweets, you know? I have no idea what all that means, you know? <laughs> I'm not a bird. But in terms of social media, the Lord absolutely fails here. Absolutely fails. This is no way to produce good social media uh, of the time here. And he's turning people away from him by these, this message. This message is very hard. And he's turning people away from him. Why would he do that? Because he only wants reality. That's it. He wants reality. Do you also want to go away? I think sometimes people think that being saved has only to do with, you know, getting our sins forgiven and getting my ticket to heaven. As long as I've got that, man, I'm, I'm squared. But there's more to it than that. It's not the entire story. It is true that we are saved from the penalty of our sin because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But Jesus is doing a big work in our lives because it's not just the penalty that's the problem. It's our practice of sin. It's our daily living that has to be changed. And so He is working now on believers to deliver us from the power of sin. Because when we were unsaved, what was controlling us? Sin, the power of sin. We were slaves to sin. The Scriptures talk about that. We were slaves of sin. And so He's now delivering us from the power of sin that reigns or that reigned in our lives. He is Lord, and He must reign over us. We cannot be like the people of His day who shook their fist in His face and said, we will not have this man reign over us. And we can't do that as believers. It's Lord. What would you have me do? In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and through 15, it says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. That's what he has in mind for us as believers. So now let's take a look at Luke 14. Really Luke 14 is kind of a test, multiple tests really, a test of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we truly love him supremely above all others, above all things? and above ourselves. It's a test of how deep our love is for the Lord. So test number one is found in verses 25 and 26. Do we love the Lord Jesus Christ above all others? It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Tough words, huh? Tough words. I remember um, someone hearing this uh, for the first time, and he says, It doesn't say that in the Scripture. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does, right there. Okay? What does he mean by this? Well, let me say this to ease your conscience just a little bit. It does not mean that we are to have bitter animosity towards our mom and dad, brothers and sisters, wife, and so on. Okay, you can't say that you're mad at your wife and then go, huh, see, I'm following the scripture. Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is a comparative term, that our love for Christ should be supreme. It should be above all other loves. Nothing should interfere with our love for him. It's made clearer, perhaps in Matthew 10, 
where it says this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Our more love for him should seem like hatred in comparison uh, to, uh, to, our, to our love for him. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, at one point in my life, I was 20 years old. I know it's hard to believe, but I was. 20 years old. I was a new Christian. I had just come to know the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home. I had rejected the gospel message by and large until I was 20. The Lord marvelously saved me when I was 20 years old. And I was already working for uh, my father in, in our cabinet business. He had a successful cabinet business in the city. We were doing uh, all kinds of remodeling jobs. Uh, I was in sales, and I was doing quite, quite well. But then I heard, I, I had a longing inside to study the Scripture. I really had a, just a voracious appetite to get into the Word and to study it and to really learn what the Lord wanted me to do. And I heard about uh, this Bible program in San Leandro at Fairhaven Bible Chapel. And I said, you know what, I want to go to that. I'm 20 years old. And so I applied, I was accepted, and um, like I said, we were, I was involved in my father's business. Um, doing well. And actually, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I had uh, already learned the trade, cabinet-making trade, by one of his employees, uh, an excellent craftsman. And uh, I came to the point where I could no longer do the cabinet work itself because I'm allergic to sawdust and everything else. So I went into sales. Not a good career, right? So I went into sales and, and I began to uh, really enjoy that, getting into people's homes and talking with people, all that kind of stuff. Now, you have to understand something. The family business name was the Kitchen Idea Center. Actually, it was more than that. It was called the Robertson Family Kitchen Idea Center. And I was actually the spokesman for the family. Uh, we did radio ads on, uh, on various radio stations there, and I would be the one that did the voice for the Robertson family. This is Don Robertson of the Robertson family, Christ- uh, uh, not Christian, um, <laughs> Kitchen Idea Center. And then I would go and I would talk about a funny story. I had a lady call one day. And uh, I have, I, so my sister was actually uh, the one that would take the phone calls, and she was busy. So I picked up the phone. Hi, this is Don. How can I help you? Dead silence on the other end. And I said, hello. She says, oh. <laughs> I hear this on the other end. I go, uh, this is Don. Can I help you? She says, I'm talking to a star. <laughs> <laughs> I said, wow. Uh, I was part of the family. I still am part of the family, thankfully. In fact, I am the only son of my parents. I am the only one who can legitimately carry on the family name. Now, I have... All kinds of people. There are all kinds of people working there. My mother's worked there. My sisters have worked there. My brothers-in-law, my nieces, my nephews, all kinds of family members work there. But I'm the only Robertson left in that line. And uh, you have to understand what my father's thoughts were with regard to the future of the business. My, you know, it's like Sanford and Sons, okay? But it's Robertson and Son, singular. That's what was expected. I would stay on and that I would have a wife and I would produce sons from that union and that my sons would carry on the family name and the family business and things would go on merrily throughout history ad nauseum. But the Lord had other ideas. And he called me into his ministry. And one day I had to make a decision. And the decision really was this. Whom do I love more? That really was the decision. And I knew it was the decision at the time. Whom do I love more? My father, my mother, my sisters, my extended family, or the Lord? 
Do I, lo- do I love the Lord supremely that I will leave all of this behind and I will serve him wherever he calls me, whatever he wants me to do? Now, please realize, I love my family. You know my family. You know I love them. You know that uh, we love each other. But the fact is, I love the Lord more. And it changes decisions in my life. It changes the direction of my life. And if the Lord is speaking to you and saying, look, this is the direction I want for you in your life, you can't let anything interfere with that. It doesn't matter if it's your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your wife, your husband. Who do you love more? Your love for the Lord will be tested, by the way. Do you love Him supremely? If you're an adult child... What if his will is different than his will for your father or for your mother? What if it's different? You have to make that choice. What if he's calling you to do something that your father and mother don't wish for you, but it's clearly of the Lord? Are you prepared to take a stand for the Lord and say, Dad, Mom, that's not the direction the Lord is leading me. This is the direction the Lord is leading me, and I really am convinced of it. Or are family, family ties so strong that you simply don't hear the voice of the Lord? That, your voice, uh, that His voice is crowded out by your love uh, for your family. Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Isabel Miller was a lady who was born... I'm going to talk about Canadians today. She was born in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, she moved to beautiful British Columbia... And I say that because it's on all the license plates. Beautiful British Columbia. To the city of Vancouver, where I was from, when she was 11 years old. And uh, although she was raised in a godly Christian family, she turned from the faith of her parents. She said, you know, it's not for me. Um, I'm leaving. Actually, she went to church. She was a good girl. She did all the things that were expected of her until she got to college. And when she got to college, one of her professors said to her something like this, So, um, you don't believe in God, do you? And she says, well, yeah. And he sneered at her. That's it. And she gave up Christ and everything she had learned uh, growing up because one college professor sneered at her. And she said, you know what, that's not for me. And she became an agnostic, somebody who really had all these doubts and questions whether there's even a God at all. And that's the way she was uh, through her college, most of her college years. The nice thing is that the Lord wasn't finished with her yet. She was, uh, during her college years, she was secretly engaged to a young man who went to the college, did not tell her parents, because her parents had certain expectations of who she should marry and uh, who she shouldn't marry. But, so she became secretly engaged. It was all a big hidden secret. But she had a relationship with this, this guy, and they were ultimately going to get married. One day she discovered that this young man was being unfaithful behind her back. And he was having a relationship with somebody else. And she confronted him with this and said, look, this is not right. We're preparing to get married. And he says, look, you have to understand, this is who I am. It's not only who I am now. But after we get married, he says, this is what you need to expect, because that's who I am. Absolutely devastated her. You can imagine, heartbroken. And uh, she just had a personal crisis in her life that was enough to nearly uh, bring her to suicide. But it was during this personal crisis in her life that she fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And she truly got saved. And uh, she realized that the Lord loved her, and she came to know the Lord, and she graduated from college, and she began her career as a teacher at uh, Cecil Rhodes School, which was not far from where I went to school. Uh, She began her career there. And then during the summertime when you're off, uh, or when teachers are off, she went out on short-term Christian missions. And she began to hear about a tribe of people in China uh, I think they were called the Lisu tribe. Um, and they're along the, the China, um, what used to be called Burma or Myanmar now, uh, China-Myanmar uh, border. And she heard about these people 
who did not know their left hand from their right. They needed to know the Lord. They needed to know Him. And her heart ached for these people. She wanted to serve uh, the Lord there. And so she went to her parents. And she said, look, Dad, Mom, I'm a believer. Um, I know your faith in the Lord and so on. I want to go out and I want to reach these people for Christ. You know what her mother said to her? Now, think about this for a second, parents. Her mother and father had already lost their daughter earlier. You understand that? She had turned her back on Christ. Now she was a committed believer. This is what her mother said. Isabel, over my dead body. Over my dead body. Isabel Miller had to make a decision. What do I do? My mom doesn't want me to go. But I sense that it's the Lord who's leading me to go to China. What do I do? She learned that obeying God must take priority over obeying one's parents. She was an adult who had to make an adult decision before God. And so she began to make preparations to go anyway. And she went off to uh, Moody Bible School in uh, Chicago area. And she began to study the scripture and began to pray about going and reaching this group of people. She graduated from college uh, there. And she, while she was actually, not before she graduated, the last, uh, one of the, uh, I think it was the first or second year of her college, her mother took sick. And she was uh, rushed to the hospital. And immediately they had to do emergency surgery. And there on the operating table, her mother died. And Isabel Kuhn is what her name ultimately is. She married a man in in China named Kuhn. And uh, Isabel Kuhn did go to China over her mother's dead body. Thankfully, I'll tell you the rest of the story, her mother did see the error of her own way. And just at the very end, she said to one of the aides or nurses caring for her, my daughter has made the right choice. I understand that there are thousands of Lisieux people who are Christians today because Isabel Kuhn loved the Lord more than she loved her parents. She was a true disciple. You know, it says here also, hating your children. Parents can love their children so much that they will put their children ahead of the Lord. It's a grave mistake. Sometimes Christian parents refuse to discipline their own children and will not take a stand against their own children's sins. And really what they're saying is, I love my children more than I love the Lord. At least that's what they think they're saying. But the reality is, when you don't discipline your children, you're really saying that you you hate your children. That's what the Scripture says. If you don't discipline your children, it's showing that you really don't love your children. But as you raise your children, what takes priority in your family life? Their sports, their music, their schooling, the interests that um, they're consumed with, or do you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? There is no family tie that should take precedence over our love for the Lord. Not even marriage, not even a spouse. Even our love for our husband must take a back seat to our love for the Lord. Listen, you want a good foundation in your marriage? It's really, really simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. That is the foundation for a happy marriage. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. But perhaps the hardest saying, the hardest part of this saying is where Jesus says this. Whoever does not hate all of these, yes, and his own life also. We like to preserve our lives, don't we? We like to protect ourselves. But the Lord says here we are to hate even our own life also. To be a true disciple means that we live Christ-centered lives, not self-centered lives. Let me illustrate this. An opportunity comes along for you to serve the Lord. 
What is your immediate reaction? Whoa, 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 whoa. This is going to interfere with um, my time. This is going to interfere with my comfort. This is going to interfere with my safety, my finances, my pleasures, my life. Emphasis on my, 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 my. I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. Stop and think about your priorities. Who comes first? Who comes first in your life? Is it you or is it the Lord? That's ultimately what he's saying here. Where do you spend most of your time? I think this is a good barometer of where our heart is. Where do you spend most of your time? Is it on the things of God or is it on the things of pleasure, you know, and so on? Is it on the Lord or is it on his kingdom? We live today in a me generation where our comfort, our personal agenda seems to run supreme. But as Christians, we are not saved to live for ourselves, but for him who saved us. The Bible warns that in the last days, perilous times will come. And some of the signs of the last days will be that professing Christians will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and the Bible says, and from such people, turn away. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord supremely over all others? then count the cost and live for him. Test number two. Do you love the Lord Jesus enough to bear your own cross and follow him? In verse 27 it says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now I want to emphasize something here. Uh, Many people teach that this means that if you have some physical infirmity, maybe a speech impediment, Maybe a broken leg, you busted a toe, um, some kind of sickness, that that's your cross. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. There's nothing, that's so far removed from what this is. That's not what it means here. The cross was associated with false accusation, with shame, with suffering, with death. So if we're going to live as a true disciple, we better get used to the idea that you're going to face false persecution, shame, suffering, and death. Just make sure that it's not persecution of your own making. We read that in the Scripture too. You know, that there are some who are persecuted or suffer, but it's because of their own foolishness. I read an account of a a group of, quote, Christians this week. I just blew my mind at the things that they were doing. And they were suffering, even going to jail. I said, you're going to jail because you're breaking the law. It's not because you're following Christ. You're just breaking the law and trying to justify it. Many people do foolish things in the name of Christ and suffer for it. So Paul says, or I mean, Peter said, don't, don't suffer as an evildoer. But if you're suffering for Christ's sake, yeah, that's bearing your cross. If you're going to follow Christ, you will suffer persecution. Paul says this, and he's a living example of this too. In 2 Timothy 3, he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's part of the... Job title, okay? If you're a Christian, you will suffer persecution. Do you love the Lord enough to suffer persecution? Count the cost. Count the cost. Live for Him. Test number three. Have you counted the cost? In verses 28 through 33, it shows that we must count the cost if we're going to follow Jesus. Um, verse 28 says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, 
lest after he's finished the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And then he talks about the king and the conditions of peace and so on. So here's the thing. Before you begin to follow the Lord, just examine what it's going to cost. Think about it. He wants you to sit down and think about what it's going to cost you to follow him. Um, Will your family, your children, your spouse, your business, your priorities get in the way? Is that too great a cost for you? Think about it. Think about it. Is the price of following Jesus too great for you to bear? Then Jesus says, you cannot be my disciples. You know, there are many casualties along the way. People who start out with great promise, but end, in the end they fall flat on their face because they did not count the cost. They have a uh, meteoric uh, start and they burn out prematurely. In the end... Such a person in, this, uh, in these illustrations is actually ridiculed. And they deserve that kind of ridicule. You say, yeah, I'm going to do this, but they never fulfill it. They don't keep their promises. They don't keep even the slightest uh, evidence of moving forward. And uh, they deserve ridicule. There is no honor in quitting. There is no honor in quitting. It's not enough to start well. It's the finish that counts. You know, we all long for that day when the Lord comes back and we're taken to heaven and we're all expecting to hear those words. What are they? Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness has a quality of starting well, continuing well, Finishing well. That's the quality of faithfulness. It's doing well from beginning to end. Faithfulness has to do with finishing just as well as you start. And our heavenly rewards are very closely tied to how we live on earth. Well, the illustration of the king and his army shows that it has to be all or nothing. You can't try out discipleship. You know, it's not like you do online and it's a, you know, one-month trial period. Sign up. Sign me up. Okay, let's try it out for a month. It's all or nothing. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Look, you want to follow me? Okay, here are the terms. But don't fake it. Don't, don't just, you know, come at it half-heartedly. Throw yourselves in with us. Throw yourselves in. Uh, throw your lot in with, with me, Jesus is really saying. Okay? I am Lord. Follow me. Do you love the Lord? Count the cost and follow Him. Well, test number four. Do you love the Lord enough to forsake all and follow Him? Verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, I've been thinking about these last three verses all week long, and they're tough. They're tough. But I've come to a conclusion. You know what the conclusion is? They probably mean exactly what they say. No, they do mean exactly what they say. That's what his call is. He's calling all of us to forsake all and follow him. I'll tell you, it really puts us in our place. It puts me in my place, let's put it that way. And it really shows me that there's none of us, not a single one of us who have arrived in the Christian life. There's still room for improvement. There's still room to grow and to be stretched. But the question is, do you place yourself in a position in life, in the Christian life, where you are purposely being stretched by the Lord, purposely being challenged? Lord, I'm not going to rest and look back at what I did 40 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or last week or even yesterday. Lord, that's past. That's history. I can't change that. So it's not about that. It's about 
right now and what's to come, the future. And I think about that and I, I look at it and I say, this is what the Lord is calling us to do, to be stretched, to be challenged, to be moving forward in the things of God. Will you purposely place yourself in a position where you trust God for all things? Do you love the Lord enough to forsake all and follow Him? It's humbling. What does the Lord teach about, or what does the Scripture teach about possessions? It's a very interesting study. I recommend it to you, but I'll sum it up for you, okay? And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, it, it, it takes our starting point, birth, and it says, for you came into this world with nothing. Okay? We were even born naked. We had not even clothes on our back. We had nothing. He says, that's how you started. And then he goes all the way to the end of our life, and he says, and it is certain you're not taking a thing with you. There are no U-Hauls. We talked about this. There are no U-Hauls in funeral processions. And so somehow we have the idea that somewhere between the starting point and the ending point, which begins with nothing and it ends with nothing, that somehow all this middle part, it's all ours. Something wrong here. It isn't ours. It all belongs to Him. Even the clothes on our back. So where do we get this idea that somehow along the way it all belongs to us if we start with nothing and end with nothing? Instead, the Scripture says this, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Now you say, well, the Lord has been very gracious to me. And the Lord has given me a lot of things in my life. He's given me a house. He's given me a car. He's given me a family. He's given me this. He's given me that. i got all kinds of things. They're all mine. No, they're not. They're all His. Children are a gift from the Lord. A wife, he who finds a wife, finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord and so on. All of these things and people are gifts from the Lord. They're good gifts, no doubt. But Job had it right. When the Lord stripped him of everything that he had, his family, his possessions, and everything, he said this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, that's the right perspective. That's the perspective that we need to have in all of this. Blessed is the name of the Lord. You say, well, Peter owned a house. Yeah, he did. Do you know what happened to that house, by the way? That house was destroyed. How was it destroyed? Sick people came there all the time. They crowded the place out. They had to move furniture out of the way so that sick people could come in there. Do you want a bunch of sick people coming to your house? Not only did sick people come to his house, but a couple, four people went up on his roof, tore his roof up, tore it to shreds so that they could put another sick person in. It was his house. Well, no, it wasn't. It was the Lord's house. Peter knew that. And you know what? Peter opened his doors for the sick people and the, and the tearing up of his roof. There was a man who owned an upper room, but it was the Lord's to use for the Last Supper. Another man owned a uh, colt, the foal of a donkey, but it was the Lord's to ride into Jerusalem. A woman had saved this precious ointment in an alabaster flask, and she had kept it for herself for some special occasion that somewhere in the future she would need to use it. But it was the Lord's, and she anointed his body for burial. And the fragrance filled the room. All of these things that they owned were really the Lord's. And at the right time, the Lord used all of them. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. And there should be nothing, nothing, underline that, nothing that we should withhold from Him. Not a person in our, in our lives, not a person in our families, not a possession that we have, nothing. It's all His. There was a great violinist, Niccolo Paganini, and uh, he was a great violinist. He had a violin, obviously. And he, at the end of his life, he donated this marvelous violin to Genoa, the city of his birth. But only on one condition, that this instrument be kept in its case, open for all to see, but never played again. It was an unfortunate condition of his gift because 
the peculiarity of wood is that as long as it's held and touched and used, it's preserved. But if it sits there, it decays. And that's exactly what happened to that precious violin. The exquisite mellow tone violin has become worm-eaten, but it sits in a beautiful case, absolutely without value today. And this instrument is a reminder of life, a life that is withdrawn from all service to the Lord and to others, and it absolutely loses its value. It's a life like this, um, a life like that is like the violin. It just wastes away. Jesus compares us not to a violin, but instead he compares us to salt. And he said, as long as salt is used or it's flavored, as long as it hasn't lost its savor, it's still good. But if it loses its savor, it's useless. You can't resalt salt. You can't make it um, useful again. And so the only value of it is to throw it out to the dunghill or to be uh, trampled underfoot by men. Many men and women have gone before us and have left a legacy of faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. And they have shown by their lives that, Lord, I love you more than I love my wife. Lord, I love you more than I love my son. Lord, I love you more than I love my position. Lord, I love you more than I love my education. Lord, I love you more than I love everything I have and everything I hold dear. This legacy is left for us in Hebrews chapter 11. But that legacy, that that chapter 11 is not finished yet. It's still being written to this day. It's being written about people who are Christians today, you and me. Here's what it says. And I'm only going to read a portion of it, but just things that fit with what Jesus said here in this passage. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. What did Abraham do? He left his father and his family to go out and follow the Lord. His love for the Lord was greater than his love for his family. He did it by faith. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Even the things that he owned, or he took possession of, if you will, he counted them as nothing because he was looking for a greater reward that was to come. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. I could go back to Canada. They would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. Now get this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. When the Lord asked him to give up Isaac, he said, I want you to take your son, and he emphasized this, your only son, and then he named him Isaac, and then he said something about him, whom you love, okay, as if, as if he didn't know all that already, but it was just for emphasis and I think for us, whom you love, take him up and offer him on a mountain where I'll show you. And immediately, early the next morning, it says, that they rose up and they went to offer up Isaac. Faith, love, love for the Lord. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. He did not say, Lord, over my dead body. Okay? 
24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, can you imagine the riches he would have had staying in the palace? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Later on, verse 35, Women received their dead raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And so here's the opportunity. The Lord is saying, look, here's your legacy. Here's who went before you. Whose faith follow? Just like they love the Lord with all their heart, you do the same. Follow. Do you love Him? Count the cost. Then follow Him with all your heart. He who has ears to hear, let Him hear. Let's pray. Lord, Your words challenge us to the very core. And Lord, we say with our lips that we love You. Lord, help us to show it in our lives by what we do and what we say that we love you above all others, that we love you above all things, that we love you supremely. Lord, make it real in our lives. Make it real in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.